Stalkers. Speaking to Stroy is the podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downing. My guest this episode is former Kerrang! Global Head of Brand Strategy, Ethan Fixel. He's also a former stand-up comedian and rock musician who headed up the U.S. division of the long-running UK magazine just a few years ago. As the time of this conversation, Ethan is now head of production for the custom podcast division of iHeartMedia. He's written extensively about alcohol and appeared on The Tonight Show, PBS, VH1, and Bravo. Want to help Speaking Destroy? Well, cruise into Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review. Like this one from iStia. Wow, Downey came out swinging. A7X frontman interview on all things Metallica. As with all of his journalism, Ryan is as insightful as he is well-researched, so I expect us to continue to deliver to the wide range of fan types that Metallica has. It will definitely please the more cerebral cross-section who have been around since the 80s, and some who have perhaps even passed the Metallica torch down to their kids by now, while giving some incredible history lessons to the less initiated, but still infatuated Metallica fan. Pumped for what's to come with this. Well, yes, that is one of the first reviews going all the way back to the first episode. As you're listening to this, we're now 82 episodes deep. The podcast has been around since 2016. The first episode finally got out in early 2017. So write a new review. Let's get more reviews on there. You can also support Speaking of Story on Patreon. Get access to exclusive bonus episodes called from my interview archives with people like Glenn Danzig and Kirk Hammett. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. You can follow Speak and Destroy on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. You can also go to SpeakingDestroy.com and subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, which includes Pop Curse, featuring musicians talking movies, and No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. So here it is, my conversation with ex-Kerrang! Global Head of Brand Strategy, Ethan Fixel. This is Speak and Destroy. I was asking you uh, who like the most interesting person or the, 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 the kind of like the trophy interview that you've ever done that, that you consider like the, the Holy grail thus far. Yeah. That, are we talking speak and destroy? Or are we talking ever? I was talking about speak and destroy, but if you have an ever too, that's, that's cool. Yeah, man. Um, Ozzy's up there. Did you, you did Ozzy for, for this show? No, sorry. I'm just thinking in general. Yeah. Start at the top. Yeah, I did Ozzy for MTV at his house. Oh man, that's cool. Uh Lemmy. Um gosh, Tony Iommi. Wow. Um trying to th- yeah, Quentin Tarantino is a big one. Sure. 
a lot of actors and actresses, James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett, which that was, Hetfield was way back in 2004. So that's been a long time. Wow. But, uh, and Kirk I've done a handful of times more recently. So yeah, as far as for this show, that's a tough one because, um, I'm, you know, 60 plus episodes in and so many of the conversations it's like new things are are revealed there's new layers that that uh, present themselves in each conversation that i didn't necessarily expect for example having just recorded an episode with joey vera from armored saint you know we had a whole long conversation about that age that musicians reach you know that that period in their career where you know you start out a teenager it's all or nothing go for broke we're going to conquer the world i'll eat top ramen every day i'll sleep on floors i'll make five bucks a a day Mm -hmm. and then you hit that inevitable turning point where you know marriage mortgages you know Mm -hmm. all that stuff starts to come into play and there's a decision point where you know a lot of a lot of people understandably pack it in and they go, okay, I was doing that. It was all or nothing. So now that's got to, that's got to go. And I have to figure out who I even am. I'm so used to being this person who's the bass player in this band or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Armored Saint being an example of a band that has persisted through each of those, you know, starting out in high school and being on a major label and opening for Quiet Riot and stadiums to having a band that means something to people now and that exists that isn't the primary source of income for its members. Mm-hmm. yet can still exist so you know that that wasn't necessarily a conversation that i expected to have in talking with joey about you know him him rather famously turning down an invitation to audition for metallica for example after cliff passed away wow. um, and, and you know we talked about a lot of that metallica stuff and their tours together but i use that as an example because it just happened today but uh, that's been happening often with these conversations you know with metallica as the anchor but it spinning off into uncharted waters and, and un, unforeseen tangents that uh, seem to bear great fruit. So I suppose that's a long-winded way of saying I don't, I, I can't really pick. I don't really have one. I will say the one that has a special place in my heart is Matt from Avenged Sevenfold, not only because he's a great dude and I love his band, but because he accepted the invitation to be the very first guest on the very first episode. Oh, wow. Had me over to his house and, you know, it was a big, it really, really went out of his way to be accommodating and to, and to make it happen. And, and we had a relationship prior to that, but, um, you know, I wouldn't say we're like close friends, but we're, we're friends. And, you know, I'd interviewed him before and we kept in touch and, and that sort of thing. But re- he really stepped up when I told him the concept for this podcast. And, part of why it holds such a special place aside from being a cool interview and him being such a giving person about it. And also that he's someone that still has some privacy and some mystique, you know, he's not on social media. He doesn't do a million interviews, right? But the credibility that that lent the podcast for me to go out and secure other guests being able to say, you know, well, I've had Matt from Avenged Sevenfold and you know, that, that helped me. Um, I undoubtedly with, you know, when other guests are looking at the list and well, who's been on this thing? What is this thing? 
Yeah, that's a huge anchor. I mean, having him is a huge anchor. And also, he did it at a time when podcasting was like, what? You're going to do a what? Yeah, this was three years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That was the other thing. Yeah, it was he's like, I'm into podcasts. I'm listening to this and listening to that. And yeah, I'd like to right. be on a podcast. It was, yeah, everyone didn't have one and everyone wasn't inviting you on there. So, right. Yeah, there's definitely that too. So, yeah, some serendipity there. Uh, I'm going to turn the I'm going to turn the question around, and especially since this is Metallica focused, I'll put it in the metal realm. But during sure. your tenure, uh, I have two questions actually. During your tenure at Kerrang, first one: What was your favorite interview? That might have been a Holy Grail type interview. Mm. And then my second question is going to be: Which of the lists that you put together, which were always fun and were always engaging, mm. uh, and always very well thought out? and provocative as any list which list generated the most anger and vitriol oh god that's such an easy that's an easy answer actually so yeah well let's un unpack all that um first of all so so the cool like one of the coolest interviews i did in the metal world which is very much tangentially related to uh tangentially related to metallica it is uh mustaine because there you go. Actually, maybe not so much of a tangent. Actually, a member of Metallica. So that that happened right before I got to Kerrang, and that was part of what got me into like got me the job at Kerrang because I I started um, I, I interviewed him for a, a publication I was working on called The Beer Necessities. Oh, the see, it all makes sense. I didn't know. And this is by the way, this is one of my favorite things about doing this is it's an opportunity to talk to a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. and still be a workaholic and keep it productive mm -hmm. and but find out stuff like this that i don't know i didn't know that and it makes per I, I knew your background publishing wise prior mm -hmm. to kerrang but i didn't realize that that was the bridge it makes so much sense now because Dude, of course stain has the beer and the wines and of course and my look i mean i've been a huge metal fan my whole life and megadeth has been I, i'm gonna be honest ryan like i'm i'm more into megadeth than i am into metallica in a lot of ways it's fair um, they're, the, they're the band that got me into metal that was well, Peace, Peace Cells was the record that turned. I, I would have, I, I, you know, my love for Metallica came after my love for Megadeth, which was which was first for sure. I, I coincidentally, I'm the opposite. So Metallica is like the band that got me into metal, hands down, no question. Megadeth was the band that I was like, oh, this is this this can be kind of weird a little bit because <laughs> they they were always off kilter. You know, there was always something kind of not right with. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way in a good way um but i interviewed him for this beer publication that i was working on i was i was editor-in-chief of this beer publication and yeah he had he has uh you know this this beer with um you know with with unibrew this canadian brewery and i went backstage at madison square garden and i interviewed him and that was kind of like an insane moment because you know the the dude is not he's not a straight arrow. There's, you never know what you're going to get with him. And there's been plenty of controversy. There's, he says plenty of things all the time that you're like, huh? All right. What do you mean by that? You know? And there, and there were, there was plenty of that in the, in the, in the conversation that didn't technically always, always make it to the interview, but um, that kind of was an amazing experience. And, and coincidentally, that is also what kind of, launched me into Kerrang! because the company that was publishing this beer magazine ended up buying Kerrang! And so when they when they bought Kerrang! it's called it was called Wasted Talent, they bought Kerrang! and I was like, oh, 
this is a, an opportunity here to kind of move into something I've been wanting to do my whole life, which is, you know, working back in, in music. Cause I had, I've been in and out of music my whole life. I've been, you know, in a band, you were describing bands on the road, kind of, you know, giving up. I was like, yeah, that was me. Except I gave up after like a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Right. And then, yeah. so yeah, that was, sort I think I, I, I gave up around, let's see, how old was I? Uh, I was I, around like 26. Not oh, gave yeah. up, not gave up, but definitely, yeah. That's when, where I was. When the tables turn between, this is the full time thing, the main priority versus okay, this is this yeah. is a side hustle at best. That's, that's right. I I was in a band that uh, broke up when I was actually I was exactly twenty six, and uh, yeah, same same age. I had been in there for like two or three years. I, I was exaggerating with one year. Um, well, and also at that age, we already felt like we were the old guys at the show. Right? Oh, totally. Which is totally. hilarious to think about now. Totally. But I remember when that band started, my last like serious full-time band, that my original group of friends that I'd come up with, my peers that were all in bands when we were teenagers, yeah. that was the like, oh, look at Downey, like trying to be in a hardcore band again. You know, and it was because <laughs> we thought of ourselves as like so ancient at that point. And it right. was like, we were in our early 20s. Which is like, it's terrible to think about because now I'm like, I feel like I'm dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been guy. I've been watching the new uh, the latest season of the Letterman, my next guest show on Netflix, and two different episodes now he's referred to himself as a hundred, and I know yeah. what he means. You know, he's like yeah. I'm like a hundred. He's probably started questions that way. I hear myself he, doing that too. He's closer to a hundred than you and I are. That's, That's true. Sure. <laughs> I feel a little bit better about that. Yes. Um, but to to complete the question uh, in terms of like artists at Kerrang, so. The artist that I, that the Holy Grail artist for me that I interviewed at Kerrang was actually not a metal artist. Um, I don't know how much you were into this scene. I know you're into hardcore, but like kind of like the original emo scene, like the 90s kind of, you know, right after Rites of Spring kind of. Type yeah, of I, um, yeah. Are, are we talking like Christy Front Drive, Texas yes. is the Reason? That's right. That sort of, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sunny Day Real Estate. Sunny Day Real Estate was my was my band. That's like top five band for me and when i was a kid i uh i was 17 i worked at sam goody music store mm -hmm. are you familiar with that i am very Maybe. much so yeah so there was an opportunity to go meet jeremy enig the singer of sunday to real estate at a signing him and dan i think dan horner the guitar player so they were signing stuff at uh this sam goody in the city and i go with my friend and i get there and i could not be more excited um, I'm going to meet like my favorite artist in the world. And I go up to him and, and, you know, he had had some weird stuff happen where like they did, you know, Sunday real estate was in and out of the scene constantly. They broke up a million times. I mean, they had a record with untitled songs because they just didn't bother. Exactly. Exactly. They just couldn't get it together. Yeah. And then they came back and they did how it feels to be something on. And then they broke up again. Okay. And so this was right after, this was years after that for the Rising Tide album. Mm -hmm. Where they, which I love, by the way. It's a, it's a good, it's a good I celebrate record. the whole catalog, as they say. Totally. That's the first album without Nate, I think. Yeah. From... I like Return of the Frog Queen, too. I don't know oh. that I ever really got into his later solo work, but that's just more of a, I don't think I've really spent time with it, but oh, I it's really, really good. loving that for solo album. I should check really that stuff good. out. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a tour for the, the Frog Queen uh a couple years like a year or two ago which was so cool but um you know i i was really into all, all of his stuff his his solo record frog queen was already out at this time anyway um and i i go to to meet up with him and, and as i was saying they they put out rising tide and right before this he had had some sort of like kind of 
Christian or, or some sort of born again awakening. You know, he kind of, from what I heard, he like went into an attic for a couple days or, or weeks or months. I have no idea. As you and do. He kind of, as you do, as you're in rock. And he kind of had this like kind of awakening and he came out a new person, right? So I go to this signing and I'm like a 17 year old. I have no idea what to say to my musical hero. I walk up to him. It's like it had thinned out. It was like me, my friend, maybe two other people. And I walk up to Jeremy and I'm like, Jeremy, it's so awesome to meet you. I'm such a big fan. He's like, oh, thanks so much. I go, so what's up with that whole born again thing? And <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, you know, that's, that's really for, for, for me. I, I don't really want to talk about that right now. And I was like, okay, cool. Totally realizing what a douche I, I was just now. But don't you want to share the good news? <laughs> My my soul is in mortal jeopardy, and you're just oh my God. blowing me up. I was like, "Can you save me? I'm Jewish. Can you can you take me with you?" Uh, no, I I I was mortified as soon as I saw his reaction. And so, fast forward to you know now I'm kind of uh, I'm heading up Kerrang in the U.S. and I have like you're this, a professional now. Position. You're not you're not, you're not somebody in line at a signing, <laughs> right? And I I felt like. It, it was very personal for me, but I felt like I redeemed myself because I had this hour-long interview with him backstage at Le Poisson Rouge. And it was like the the interview that you want to have. You know, it was like yeah. we, we, we did it. Like it was – I got every question I wanted out. He was cool. I told him the story. I reminded him of the I story. I was about to ask you if you told him I the did. story. And at what point – in the conversation, did you tell him the story? The very end. There you the go. The very okay. end. <laughs> Definitely didn't open with that. Definitely didn't. <laughs> so, so that's my first question tonight. Since you didn't answer <laughs> me then. Can we get back to the point here? What's up with the born again thing? Uh, no, I uh, I told him the whole thing, and he was just sort of like, ah, that's funny. You know, he he totally didn't care. He was he understood I was a kid, and he, and we had a good rapport. So that for me was like really the holy grail because it was like one of these artists that I had been looked I looked up to my whole life. I, I really loved and had had screwed up royally in the past with. Yeah, that I wanted to kind the of ch that chance for fix. redemption. That is totally everything. Totally. Yeah, because those so moments, was... those moments, you relive them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you can't get do, them back. Do you, yeah. do you do that? Like, I, I, I'm a very anxious person and someone who kind of like perseverates over mistakes. Do you ever do, you ever, do, you do oh, that? Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, even, even things from childhood, you know, situations with confrontations with bullies and things like that. Now in my, mm. in my 40s, I'll still remember some scenario and, and then I, replaying all the different ways that I wish it would have gone or, you oh, know, wow. what, I, what I would say or do differently now. And, and yeah, in and, and a couple experiences like that um on the journalist side although although to be honest you know a couple of the uncomfortable moments that i've had um i've either been with someone who was gracious enough that they sort of helped me through it mm -hmm. or i'm talking in an interview setting mm -hmm. or a couple of them i'm able to look back at and go oh that was not me that was that mm. person you know totally so pretty blessed hashtag blessed and that <laughs> i feel like i i kind of i internalize them deeply when when it's close to the to the to the moment like uh for example this is actually a good example and it's not a big deal i interviewed uh nurgle from behemoth right and i did a I, I i was very happy with the interview but there was one question that i wanted to ask him that i, I don't even remember what the question was uh, something about religion or something. And I didn't get to ask him. And for some reason that it drove me insane for the next 
I don't know, week, like every single day I woke up thinking about it and it bothered me so much. And of course the interviews out there now, you know, we, it's a, it's a, there's a video. It's, it was a Kerrang interview we did for um, like a, an in conversation video is what it was called. Um, so you can watch it and, and it's fine, but like no one will ever know the question that I wanted to ask him. I don't even remember it. And but it, it in, but in your mind, it was incomplete. It was incomplete. Perfect. Yeah. I ruined the interview. I did not get the interview right in my mind for a week. Yeah, it's just—it's so stupid. I know that feeling for sure, and it—and it is, yeah. And it's something that you all—you will think about all the time, but the other person hasn't. Yeah, I have a. It's funny. I just thought about this the other day. Actually, I was at the Stagecoach Festival mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago uh, with an artist that I was managing at the time, who was also had also performed at Stagecoach, and we were kind of just hanging out and. Um, you know, meeting people, talking to people. We were on the side of, side of the stage watching someone. I don't remember who we were watching even. And we were with the big cheese, number one promoter of Coachella and Stagecoach. We just happened to be hanging out with him for a minute. And John C. Riley walks up. And I think John C. Riley had performed also because he's like an Americana guy. Mm-hmm. And he comes over and we get introduced to him. And then we're, you know, we're kind of standing there for a moment. And so then I say... Um, yeah, I've actually met you a couple of times before. And he goes, oh, really? And I go, yeah, I am a reporter and I I interviewed you at the press junket for Wreck-It Ralph and at the press junket for some other movie. And he kind of goes, oh, right. And then he walks off. And my artist client, you know, was livid with me that I had you know, done some kind of big social faux pas and, and ruined his chance to uh, be knighted by John C. Riley or something. Um, you know, he was just, was he was mortified like I had. And that's one that I look back on and I go, that was, I don't think that was on me actually. No, I it really that wasn't. I was being, you know, I was like, oh, hey man, like I think he, he was a little too cool for school or maybe he's awkward. I mean, that's... you know, I, I did have good interview experiences with him and other points, but like, I mean, what can you do? You know, you can't no, he, other people. You also have to think about the context. Like he has a reputation for doing that. Oh, like what, what, like what, what you I didn't know that. Oh yeah, dude, listen to it Makes me feel even better. Because literally my client at the time was livid. I mean, he was just, no, uh, dude. He, thought that, he thought that I totally blew it. I'm going to make you feel better instantly after, for, after this. You go listen to something. Go listen to, yeah. <laughs> go listen to Mark Maron's episode of What the Fuck. Ah, even in the intro, he goes, I don't know what this was. I, I didn't get there with John. I tried. I couldn't do it. I messed up. I said something. It kind of annoyed him. He was talking about clowns, and it bothered John C. Riley, and he didn't want to, like, talk about it for whatever reason. I'm telling you, just listen to even the first – you don't even have to listen to the interview. Just listen to Mark Maron's intro talking about how he fucked up the interview, and it will make you feel so much better about that scenario. <laughs> I will dig that up because yeah. it will make me feel better. It really yeah. Will. Uh, right now people are like this is a fascinating metallica conversation yeah. um, well that's what happens with all your shows this they is what we do off. exactly this is what we do uh so the other question was uh which of your lists which i quite enjoyed as you know i would always share them and comment on them and stuff um which of your lists was the most poorly received in terms of vitriol and hate clicks and uh arguments yeah. well I mean, I want to reframe it because it's not poorly received in this in, in the sense that like if people are talking, we don't great. That, we right. That's Even kind of the idea. Hate, 
Sure. Totally. Any and, of those and, lists. I mean, Rolling Stone, you know, Rolling Stone 100%. gets 300 industry highbrow bigwigs to vote mm-hmm. on their 500 albums of all time. And it's still nothing. You, you don't see a single comment that's like, this is a good, pretty good list. Right. <laughs> then, right. You know, no, nobody. no one. And because no one who thought that cared enough to comment. Right. I'm someone totally. who looked at the 500 greatest albums of Rolling Stone just updated recently. And I went pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. It you know, and like so a, I'm not on the internet like, no, you know, cause and I it thought it was like fine. <laughs> it can, it can be a closed looped, uh, uh, list. It could be like the, the five best or no, it could be like the thousand best left-handed drummers with one eye. And there's only like six people to fill the spots and people be like, I, you got it. Right. How dare you've missed so-and-so. Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, when we went into it, just for, for context for everybody that like hasn't seen that, hasn't seen the list, who's listening, we made – the first thing that we made was um, – it was called the United States of Metal. And so it was every state got its own best metal band. So we chose the best metal band from every U.S. state, right? And, and, I, and I want to say Indiana was represented by the Gates of Slumber. That's correct. So you had my – you know. I had your back on every list after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the thing. Some people were like, you know what? You got that one thing right. So fuck it. I'm behind you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, you can count me in that camp. I was right. Like, yep. And some were easier than others. And like, you know, I think we had like, for example, like Slipknot is Iowa, right? There's, there's no question. But then when you get to like Pennsylvania, I think what happened was we had like Code Orange and people were like, that's not a metal band, you know? Oh boy. So it's stuff like that that would drive people crazy. But we went into the list with the idea of, hey, what can we do to generate the most Facebook comments, positive or negative, and have everybody engaged? Because we were launching. Yeah, we were launching. And, 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 it's, and it sounds a little more cynical if you think that the list is put together haphazardly or with the intention to incite. But it's that's not what you're saying. No, it's just more. It was it was you knew that it would generate a conversation. It didn't mean you weren't committed to the choices that you made for the list. Otherwise, you would just say, you know, oh, the best best band from California is Poison, or yeah. you know what I mean. Like you would have just exactly gone yeah, we for weren't... it to upset people very right. overtly. Yeah, it wasn't like the best band from yeah Alabama is Mariah Carey. There's like nothing that makes sense. It was something that we actually believed in and and we actually kind of we stood behind all of our choices, but if there were two options that we could choose from and one of them was like more creative, we would usually probably veer towards the more creative one. And and I back that too because it's because it's less obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and certainly it, the lazy thing to do would be the most commercially successful or the most widely known metal band from each state. Mm-hmm. And what's the fun in that? Well, and also, look, to talk Metallica, you know, it's very easy to say that Metallica is the greatest band in California. I think we ended up going with Slayer. And, you know, I don't know. that. I also feel that Slayer is a bad example because they're also, they're just as big as Metallica. But I also feel that there were some bands that we picked there that appreciated it more than the bands that we also like more obvious picks, you know? So that was fun to like give it to those bands and have those bands, you know, talk about it online. That was another big, exciting moment. So anyway, to answer your question, what was the most, what was the one that was the most controversial? Um, it was definitely the United States of hardcore. Oh, because- it, wasn't, it wasn't when you did the um, 50 best white power bands from America. 
<laughs> we did the nine, yeah, nine greatest Nazi bands of 2000. Yeah. The seven best homophobic songs in metal. Number right. one, MOT. <laughs> yeah. Number two, Nuclear Assault. I, I like the best homophobic. Yeah, like that's. <laughs> it's not just like the most well. It's like no, these are these are good homophobic. These are the best, yeah. not the worst. No. Next month is the worst. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So it was the it was the hardcore one. It was the hardcore one. Yeah. It was you know, and it was. It's just a testament to this is something that's fascinating, and it's again, listen, everything ties back to Metallica in a way because Metallica as a thrash band has that like they have some metal. They're a metal band, right? But they have some hardcore kind of parts, right? There's some like there's some elements. There's 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 Motorhead in there, and there's uh, there's GBH and Discharge, and they covered Anti Nowhere League, right? So I think that um, it was a very interesting thing to see the difference between how metal fans, stereotypical metal fans, if you want to call it, react versus stereotypical hardcore fans. Now, granted, you know, bands like, you know, Power Trip, Rest in Peace, like the, they blur the lines and there's plenty of crossover these days. I'm not, you know, even Cro-Mags were doing it. And there's, like, you know, and then there's a subgenre upon, you know, blackened thrash with bits of, of progressive course. doom. Yeah. Yeah, it gets ridiculous, but but there is something about the metal community that's different than the hardcore community. It's a different. There there are different things, and um, there's something very defensive about the hardcore community and very aggressive in a. It's in the perception that everyone's an outsider, and that mm-hmm. happens with with punk also. Uh, because you know, for me, I had the benefit of knowing you personally, so when that list came out. I saw it as a list from a peer, from a contemporary, from a friend, from somebody who, you know, whereas I think your average Joe Hardcore, not the actual guy Joe Hardcore, <laughs> your average Jack Hardcore, um, right. saw it as this monolithic brand of Kerrang! magazine, right. you know, sticking their beak into our world and trying to act like they know what's what. And, you know, I'm reminded of, 2002 it was the start of the iraq war and i was working at mtv news full-time back then and a friend of mine and i went down to the uh federal building in los angeles to cover the protests that were happening there the day that the war kicked off and um you know doing man on the street interviews and talking to protesters and thanks to my background in activism i also correctly identified an undercover cop and, sh- and shamed him out of the protest but uh had a lot of crazy stories from that and my cameraman got hit with police batons but uh my point bringing this up is that i'm doing some man on the street stuff and there's a group of like gutter punks behind me like liberty spikes leather jackets uh, the whole regalia and they start singing dead kennedy's mtv get off the air at me as i'm doing this interview so I just turned around and finished the lyrics <laughs> and then, you know, and then they're just like, Ugh. and it's like, yeah, guys, I'm not uh, Viacom. You know, right. I wasn't, I wasn't, right. I wasn't created in a laboratory. I'm not a machine. Like I'm just some dude like you. It just so happens I work here and you work wherever you work. Um, wouldn't it- you rather that it's me doing this interview than whatever, you know, faceless villain that you would associate with with one of these companies isn't that so funny that like people people like think that anyone like who would want to do these jobs of like going to like constant underground metal shows and interviewing hardcore bands and doing all that stuff 
other than a fan. Like, who the fuck would want to do that? What and kind why of, like, suit and, would want to do that? And wouldn't you want, if you're there at a political protest trying to get eyes and ears on this point of view, aren't you glad that there are people in this big organization that want to come down and help? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and cover what, yeah. And it was uh, another similar story to that. I, I, I love, I had Jay Bennett on the podcast. I love, hopefully listeners love it too. I love doing the inside baseball with other reporters. Um, mm-hmm. Joel McIver just had him on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, once upon a time, I was covering a festival for MySpace. This was obviously prior to, as Seth Meyers once described it on SNL, uh, MySpace became the internet's abandoned amusement park. This was before that, but this was this was right around the time they were really aggressively trying to get into music and they were posting video. And so anyway, I was doing, I went to one of the Bamboozle festivals in California and we set up a little MySpace stage and just interviewed bands, any band that came by. And did an interview with the guys from Anti-Flag and they wanted to spend the entire interview browbeating me about Fox News because Fox had purchased MySpace a couple months before. Okay. And I'm like, again, I'm just a guy, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I know some cool music people that work at MySpace. They knew me. They hit me up for this freelance gig, asked if I want to come interview bands. You know, I'm interviewing Dillinger Escape Plan and, you know, all these like cool bands or whatever. And um, this is... I mean, I understand what you're trying to do, but it's not even kill the messenger. I'm not the messenger. I wasn't any sort of evangelist for the Fox Corporation. And, and but it was, and it would be one thing if they were to say, "We're going to go at MySpace and Fox," but they were going at me, like sort of personally about it. And it's like, dude, I'm not the I'm not the Carson Daly of of MySpace. Right, as if your course of action is after working your ass off to get there, to get to this point, is to say, oh, wait, we were just bought out by that company. I got to quit right now and burn every bridge I ever made and go find a job at, you know, blog.blogcom. Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, it's crazy. And, 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 and they're playing the game because they're, you know, signing to big record labels and, and they're coming up on that literal platform to do that yeah. interview with my Of course. So... There's a double standard a lot of times, and that's that's the problem. That's why I've, you know, I mean, I've never, I've been to a thousand shows, and I've been to the grimiest grime of all grimes, and uh, I just never felt like I could exist in the punk world, f- like, fully, and I'm sure there's there's plenty of people who find that, like, oh, you're a poser, but I don't give a shit. I, I'm, I like... The music and I like a lot of elements of the message and the um, the community, but I don't want to solely exist in that community and die by every single rule that's written. And you know why? It's because and rules is the right word. It's values are excellent. Guideposts, you know, core uh, doctrines, even. But rules are terrible, and rules mm-hmm. are what punk was partly intended to destroy. And so even now when you see, you know, people are aghast at Johnny Rotten coming out as like full MAGA. And Mm. yeah, obviously I think that's stupid (laughs) for lack of a better word, but it isn't surprising. And I'm not, uh, I'm not throwing away everything sex pistols, 
You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't change my relationship to that music and how much I love it or the cultural impact of that band. And I don't have a need for ideological purity with every artist that creates the art that I like. And this is a whole other conversation, right? But, sure. uh, and bringing it back to Metallica, one of the things that they've been so, one of the many things that they've been so smart about is you get a sense if you're a big fan like I am and you pay attention and you read every interview of sort of where each person is coming from personally mm-hmm. in terms of their worldview and, and that sort of thing. But they've never presented a monolithic, uh, you know, they've never done a get out the vote for any party or, or that sort of thing. And, you know, you, have, you again, like I said, you have a sense that Hetfield probably leans a little more conservative and Lars and Kirk are a little more liberal. And But they've really been smart about communicating who they are and what they think without uh, attaching any of the baggage that comes with our you know how polarized things are and so I bring up the Johnny Rotten thing only to say I don't agree with is uh, you know nationalist sort of Trumpist you know the stuff that's happening in the UK I don't know where he even stands on that stuff Brexit it's probably pro-Brexit uh but i do support and sort of enjoy his rabble rousing you know just i don't know i want i i don't need johnny rotten to hold all the same opinions i do um i realize it's a bit of a tangent but it's getting back to what you're saying about rules you know i don't the orthodoxy and the purity because it is always such a house of cards because there are always are flaws in it. I remember having a a knockdown drag out debate in front of a group of people in the mid nineties with a guy who was like kind of in, he was in that like heart attack fanzine scene and he was passing through Indianapolis and his whole way of life, which was a philosophical political thing Mm -hmm. was he's off the grid. And then we're talking like 1995 off the grid. Um, no job, no, just no footprint, staying with other punks, um, dumpster diving for food. You know, he mm-hmm. was, he was freaking. And my, you know, the, the central argument that we had, and there were people watching and listening, is uh, all of those things that he's choosing to do and being, you know, preachy about, are dependent on other people doing the opposite right because there's no world in which he (laughs) just cruises around and gets driven to punk shows and stays on someone's couch for a week and whatever that doesn't exist without all of those people who are working to maintain the fuel and put on the shows and pay rent at a house and i mean i just saw it as like such because he was also you know he's pretty sanctimonious and self-righteous about the way he was living and how it was Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, the purest of the pure. And yeah, I've just, I've always rejected in, in religion in punk in metal orthodoxy and purity. I respect the purity of people having beliefs that they live and die by and representing those with their art. I, I don't have to agree with them and I don't want to be, controlled or defined by them yeah or proselytized to and told that you have to and be like hey you that's a that's a brilliant point man i mean that's so true it's like if everyone was freegan no one would be freegan 
because there's right. nothing free to, to dumpster dive. Exactly. Like no one, no one's making anything. <laughs> exactly. you know, that's why no one bought anything and threw it away. Right. I mean, it's it's just so silly. So uh, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And 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 it's not so far off from Metallica or the or the discussion that we're talking about either about like the metal things. It's like at the end of the day, I always feel like debate and gray area is like the the it is what defines this world and it, i just find it funny when people get so black and white about stuff um because they're just as bad as the opposite side of it if you're if you're arguing no it's only black it's only black well you're you're, just, you're doing the same exact thing that someone who's saying it's only white is doing it's the same with the extreme left or the extreme right or whatever you know it's like so yeah, I, I do give Metallica credit for that because at the end of the day, they are they were these like gutter punk, you know, thrash metal kids who were just like, you know, the grimiest of the grime, as I said said before. And like they are huge, massive, successful capitalist entrepreneurs in modern day. Like they are who, some of who, the most... who are employing a great number of people and sure. there's a whole ecosystem, a whole mini yeah. economy that's generated by them. And even in in doing this podcast and, you know, interviewing people like Brian Tatler from Diamond Head and Animal from Anti-Nowhere League, mm -hmm. just the mere act of Metallica covering songs, mm -hmm. you know, that's paying the mortgage for some of these cats that would be toiling in obscurity otherwise. I mean, Animal, when he was on the podcast, he talked about in the early 90s, you know, like Black Album era, Metallica had him up on stage at Wembley to sing So What? And at the time, he had gone back to working construction. The wow. band had been gone for ages, you know. Yeah. Uh, once upon a time, they were getting thrown off top of the pops. And, <laughs> you know, and that Wembley thing inspired him to get the band back together. Mm -hmm. And the notoriety and the little bit of publishing that comes in from Metallica covering that song is enough in that smaller ecosystem of, of uh, independent music and whatever to kind of to sustain them or at least help give them a little momentum and that's just one of countless examples big and small i mean with you know we started out talking about dave mustaine who i love and one thing i i trip out about sometimes in thinking about mustaine is that even without his the massive contributions to metal and hard rock that came with megadeth and the mm -hmm. huge personality and persona and, and everything that we associate with dave mustaine if he had been fired from metallica gotten on that greyhound and never picked up a guitar again he'd still be a millionaire multi-times over from mm. publishing checks from kill em all and ride the lightning wow. and you know and every time metallica plays uh you know i think it's if you're in the top 200 concerts every year there's money paid out performance royalties from that and you know there's wow. mustaine co-writes on the first S&M record and I think Call mm -hmm. Cthulhu's on the new S&M record. You know, it's like just if, if he had just put his tail between his legs and disappeared and never started one of the other big four, mm -hmm. uh, he'd still be a very successful songwriter. And that, and that just says so much about the legacy and the, uh, the broad reach of what those, what those guys were able to build. Totally. And to kind of dovetail with something you were kind of alluding to before, I also think, and part of why I brought him up and was like, oh, you know, he's not like a perfect dude, but I never, like if you, I always listen to music as art and I don't think about the, the artist making that art. And I'm like obsessed with, well, this guy has conservative views. This guy has liberal views. This guy, 
I think of the art in a, in a vacuum and I don't, that doesn't make the guy any better. You know, it doesn't make the, per like if a, if a terrible person or a serial killer made, you know, Charlie Manson, right. Made like a perfect pop record. I would listen to the pop record and I'd be aware that a serial killer made it. And I wouldn't be like, ah, I'm going to go <laughs> do what that guy says to do, but I would listen to it and I could still appreciate the art kind of independently. I might and not want to give him. And, and sometimes even appreciate it with that as part of the story. Sure. Not endorsing it or agreeing with it, but no, no. understanding that as and, part of the, ooh, you know. And, no, and obviously it gets muddy when you're talking about money, right? Like if you want to, I don't want to necessarily support him financially and give him money by streaming his thing a million times or giving or buying his record. So there's a lot of other, there's, again, gray area. But uh, with Mustaine, it's like, I always hear people talking about his personality and they're like, not enough people are just talking about the fucking music that he's written and the well, stuff that he's Guitar solo in Holy Wars is my favorite guitar solo of all time. Any Insane. band, any record, any song. That's the so, one. Exactly. Yeah. That, that record, that whole record is, is that record is flawless from start to finish. Peace yeah. Sells is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. uh, Killing is my business, I would say, is a masterpiece. And then there yeah. are bright spots throughout every other record of, I mean, yeah, just an incredible, yeah. and, and you're right. Uh, it, it's almost lazy at this point when people talk about he's provocative or he's, you know, he's got a big mouth, like, he's got an attitude. It's like, you know, and also, that's part of the love, right? Because I'm a huge, I'm a huge Oasis fan huh. and absolutely the personalities of the Gallagher brothers and even Bonehead. He's, he's pretty active on Twitter right now. <laughs> Everyone associated with that band. Yeah. I love the music first and foremost, but the attitude and the personas and the interviews and all of that. So maybe that's the music journalist in me. Mm. I love all of that. It's all kind of part of it, you know, and I would be just as excited say in the early nineties, to see a blistering three hour Guns N' Roses set, classic lineup, everybody firing on all cylinders, mm -hmm. as I would be to see Axel get mad after two songs and stomp off. <laughs> it's just part, it's exciting, right. you know, it's dangerous, it's weird. And that's, and, and that doesn't mean, right. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily want to move in with Axel or subscribe right. to his religion or right. become his, his like humans, you know, his slave at home. You just yeah. want to, you just want to appreciate that part of Axel for what it is and mm -hmm. then walk away. And I think that that's okay. And everybody and it, has their weak point with that because anytime I found myself in an argument with someone where they're giving me the, how could you, how dare you mm -hmm. listen to this mm -hmm. person or interview this person or write about this person, they've done this, they've done that. It, it's always coming from a place where they don't have any connection to that person's art. Right. Um, or whether it's a filmmaker, whether, you know, whatever it is. And yeah. so I always just, if I'm really putting in an effort into the, into the conversation, I will just find where they live. You know, I'll go, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. So anyway, if Tommy Lee walked in right now, would you take a selfie with him? Oh, Tommy Lee, Molly Crew. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, he was in prison for spousal abuse, right? Like actually like not even like contested, not even like a Tupac, like it was a setup or whatever. It was like, yeah, I mean, he did it and was guilty and confessed and went to jail. Right. And, and I'm not saying this to throw him under the bus. It's just, you know, as an example, like I'm always to, able to find, I remember I had one friend, she loves Chris Brown. And I was just like, right, right. And I, again, I'm not saying she shouldn't, I don't care about his music. So it's easier for me if I wanted to self-righteously get on a soapbox and say that I don't listen to him because, um, like, then I yeah, don't listen to him because I'm not interested, you know? And I know that there are a lot of people, you know, post finding Neverland or sorry, leaving Neverland mm -hmm. who, uh, 
you know, had a really difficult time with their relationship to MJ's music. And I just never really cared. You know, I was aware of him as a cultural force and I saw him moonwalk on the American Music Awards or whatever. And as a reporter, I covered some of the Neverland stuff, but I get it as he's talented and whatever, but it doesn't mean a lot to me. So it's easy for me to disconnect from that. But I absolutely Mm -hmm. understand people that have trouble with that or can't, or, Mm -hmm. you know, am I, am I never going to watch another Roman Polanski movie? I understand people that won't, but uh, yeah, uh, if I have an opportunity to see it for free, I'm going to take that over giving him money. Right. Yeah. It's all, but I think it's all up to the individual and the idea that things should be banished based on, I mean, some of the stuff that's come out about Marlon Brando since his death. Are we, so do we burn every frame of film with Marlon Brando in it? Exactly. And and look, to bring it into, back into the metal world, the biggest one that I can remember the last two years is Tim Lambesis from As I Lay Dying, um, you know, who, who very much tried to, or at least hired, tried to hire somebody to, to murder his wife, which is like, you know. Was well, at the very uh, least open to the idea? Sure. So that's all kind of something that you can consider. But the way that we then look, there were four, three other people in that band. Do you then say all of their contributions are garbage too? Because they, you know, it's a very complicated thing. And I just, I just hate when people kind of write it off as a very simple open and close or open and shut cut case, which it, it rarely is. I mean, Woody Allen's another one in, in movies, right? Like, uh, do we just say that? the academy award do we you know take it away from annie hall like what do we do you know it's did, never did, that simple did they take oj's heisman i think they did right i don't know i, don't I mean know. you know but he very, he very probably murdered two people <laughs> yeah. uh, and no, at, no, least, at, at least burzum did his time well listen you know what honestly there is a difference between someone like burzum between what's his name varg and uh and even tim who admitted to something went to jail did his time got out and then someone who to this day denies killing someone that like or two people we like kind of know you killed two people. Oh, you know, dude, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you there. That and this, different. and this gets into a whole other conversation too, about restorative justice versus punitive justice. Right. Because right. in theory, I'm for the former and it's like, but how does that work? If once someone does the crime and then does the time is still, Scarlet lettered. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a whole other big conversation. That's a huge conversation. But I think the point is that, which is the thread through this whole conversation, is that it's just there's gray area everywhere. And, and, and look, it does come back to the metal map and to the hardcore map. These, these people who are like, you're wrong. How, how could you not pick this band? For you to not pick this band, you don't know music. For you to not pick this band, you're disconnected. And honestly, I think it comes from a place of not having power and feeling helpless and feeling like frustrated that someone else has some power or someone else has the ability to make these calls. Because that's the only thing I could kind of ascertain was like driving these people. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I get that. And I, 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 don't, I don't blame them for that because that, it's a it's a shitty feeling when you feel like you don't have any power. And then there's some like guy, this dude, this dude, Ethan, who the hell is this guy? I've never seen him before. Who's deciding that this is the best band from Kansas. The problem is like, I don't really care that much. And also, well, <laughs> that's the other thing too, is it's not authoritative in any sense that it doesn't, no. it doesn't suddenly 
you know, the band that you think should have been chosen, it doesn't suddenly invalidate their existence. It doesn't mean anything. It's a no. list. And the fact that when they're like, yo, you got it wrong, it should be this band. I'm like, okay, it should be that band. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other care. thing too. I mean, imagine the idea of being open to persuasion or new information. Sure. Oh, I listen, mean, we, I, on social media, on Twitter, I was constantly being like, eh, I don't think you're right. Or like, oh yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, we should, we yeah. should change it. You know, Why like, not? That, yeah, that's a good point. Or wow, I forgot about that. You know, yeah, yeah I, made, I made a comment in my little industry newsletter I wrote something about Eddie Van Halen and I, and I said something about how Van Halen was one of the only a small handful of bands that you can list that were able mm -hmm. to successfully change uh, their front person. And I said, you know, there's oh, yeah. uh, Iron Maiden, there's, a, there's uh, Anthrax, there's Killswitch, you know, and, and by no means, I didn't even frame it in a way where I was saying it was the definitive final list, but I mm -hmm. forgot to mention ACDC. And I got oh, yeah. a bunch of emails that were like, hey man, I love the thing you wrote about Eddie. It's so cool. But by the way, you forgot ACDC. And it's like, right. you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Right? But at least at least they were saying, by the way, you forgot rather than yes. like, you idiot. How could you have forgotten? <laughs> yeah. Which that's more, uh, which that, that's different. when it's strangers. Yeah. Strangers. Say right. Well, say I, totally. Yeah. And that's what I got more of, oh, uh, sure. you know, not, not like a friendly, Hey, why don't you consider this? It was more like you moron. <laughs> or not like a, Hey, so when you were looking at this state, did you, did you think about this band and this band? And why, why did you choose this one over that one? Yeah. Not like any kind yeah. of, no, no discourse, not a, not a <laughs> no. good faith conversation, just all bad no. faith conversation. No, definitely not. You're the definitely enemy, not. you know, yeah. and, and, and to that point, uh, one of the places where we saw a lot of those arguments was a group that were both, uh, part of a little hardcore yeah. group on Facebook and I got and I just dis, I just disengaged from the conversation because I went oh yeah I'm like an adult now and mm -hmm. you know this isn't a message board in 1996 and I shouldn't have even cared then but I so I had some people really a couple of people really light me up about loving typo negative and typo oh, wow. negative is is one of my three favorite bands of all time three or four wow. i mean it's top five for sure um and it started off with a kind of good-natured elitist hardcore guy like typo is mall metal mm -hmm. but then it descended pretty quickly into you know, fascist imagery and that you know peter Steele later in his life converted to Catholicism and it was a very strict kind of Catholicism that's maybe anti-Semitic and then there's this and then mm. like really but but doing one of those things where it's like and it's so odd to me at a time when we have say a proto-fascist con artist <laughs> in office right like, that we're right, still right. trying to divine these like arcane signs and symbols that someone somewhere whose music we like might have harbored some secret uh, unsavory views that they disguise through like, like, man, are we really sitting around still trying to figure that out? Especially a band like that where the guy's dead. I know. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but like it, I, look, I'm very much against Donald Trump and voting for Joe Biden. Let me make that very clear. And I consider myself, I, I am a registered Democrat and, and liberal, but I feel like a lot of that stuff that you're describing where you're like trying to find the wrong with people comes from the far left, comes from super liberal people. Oh, that, that's, like, that's who was giving me the typo thing. And, and yeah. I'll tell you, and again, this goes back, you know, full circle to like we were talking about, you can always sort of untangle those arguments by finding where someone lives. Uh, one of the people was our friend, uh, Nate from Converge, 
guy. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think he's awesome. Super rad yeah, yeah. dude. But he was one of the guys coming down on me and saying, you know, <laughs> typos, racist and, or at least fascist adjacent and all that. And I said, dude, I mean, you do Danzig covers. You love Danzig. I love Danzig. I have a Misfits tattoo. Mm-hmm. I was in a Misfits tribute band. Right. But just for the sake of that argument, I was like, you love Danzig. And he's like, he's like yeah, so. And I'm like, well, what about the song White Devil Rise? Mm-hmm. Well, that was, a, we'll see this and that. And he does a whole song and dance to explain that one. Yeah. And then I said, okay, well, what about this? Well, and then I finally was like, dude, here's this, ma- here's this interview from Seconds Magazine from the <laughs> 90s. Read the, and it's so damning. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's and, Glenn talking? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's someone asking him about you know the impending race war and it's you know it's pretty it's pretty bad and uh, and then he you know ultimately retreated to the like oh you got me like well I still love Danzig and I was like dude I do too that was just my whole point was like you just don't like typo negative anyway so it's easier for you to go oh there's a whiff of something there it's enough to, to condemn them and anyone who listens to them. And it yeah, was like, meanwhile, I, you'll do these mental somersaults around much more obvious and blatant issues when it's something you love. And it's like, and I get right. it, you know, but instead of policing each other, why don't we just like what we like and draw our own conclusions about who the person was and how much that matters to us? I, I had to disengage from that group a little bit. I haven't really been on there in the past six months because at the end of the day, I don't have time to like fight with people online. And I, I don't even want, I forget about time. I don't want to, I don't want to fight with people online. And even back when I was doing it in the nineties, I shouldn't have been, I definitely shouldn't right. be doing it now. It's so it's, it's stupid. And I, uh, I, I, I wish that that group was more, about music discovery and about like kind of honoring like oh check out this video i found of like you know seven seconds playing from like a long time ago you know like it's a, it's lot, and a lot of the same and a lot of the same people that were angry and snarky in their 20s are still in their 40s. yeah but like you know it, it's not all like look i i still yeah personally i like a lot of those dudes i mean converge is one of my little literal like top five bands so when nate talks on that board i'm like i'm listening you know like i'm not gonna ignore him so um it's 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 complicated but i ultimately feel like it's something that i i don't miss you know engaging as much as i did on that yeah and that part of crying exactly yeah um so during the time that you were spearheading the you know sort of crying invades america initiative Mm -hmm. um i mean that is such an important brand it was such an important magazine that it comes up all the time and you know i just had john gallagher from raven on I mean, Kerrang! comes up all the time in these conversations. Uh, yeah. The Armored Saint guys, um, you know, the, uh, this guy, Russell Charrington, who directed the Armored Saint documentary that's coming out. Yeah. He talked, he grew up in England and he talked about discovering all these American bands via Kerrang! back in the day. So knowing what a large impact and handprints that that brand has on heavy metal culture and all of that, I mean, it's it's probably good I'm saying this to you now instead of the day you started the job, right? But yeah. how much did that responsibility and sort of the the weight of it uh, hang on you when it's like, okay, I'm gonna try to break a new whole new territory and a whole new era for this thing? There were a couple of moments that like really defined it for me. I mean, first of all, when artists when I would speak to artists, you know, like Sacred Reich, like I would talk to Phil from Sacred Reich, and he'd be like, dude thanks so much for like being there for me all these years. I'm like, well, dude, I've only gotten here like a year ago. So (laughs) that gets to our whole thing. We were talking about the very beginning. Uh, 
Yeah. But but these artists would kind of just be like in awe of all the things that the magazine did for them. And it was amazing. That was truly amazing. And, and obviously, um, you know, as much as the artists kind of brought it to me, the biggest moment that I kind of got it after, you know, being a fan my whole life, obviously, but, but, you know, in the U S it was still very much an underground thing, tech, you know, theoretically. Um, the biggest thing that kind of made me understand it was going to the Kerrang awards. Um, the first year I got there and um, seeing like all these celebrities that like Johnny Depp in a room with Joe Perry and like Alice Cooper and, you know, uh, uh, Dave Grohl and all these people in one place, all being like on stage being like Kerrang is the greatest magazine that ever existed. And we are so thankful for it. And you know, this and that I was like, this is insane. Like I'm a part of something that's insane. Um, so it definitely felt real at that point, but, but there were lots of points throughout the whole experience that I, I kind of felt like that. So you mentioned that Metallica was the band that got you into metal. What was that mm-hmm. introduction? What, what era was it for them? What was, what was going on in your life? How did you make that discovery? Yeah. I wonder how many people answer this way, but, uh, it was injustice. Um, it was before, I guess it was like, the first thing I ever heard was one, you know, the, or maybe I saw the video, but I distinctly remember being at, uh, at, uh, summer camp, uh, like sleepaway camp. And my counselor had a cassette tape, uh, you know, with like lady justice on it. And, um, I, uh, was like, Oh wow. I think I saw this video on, on MTV at home. Like, what's this about? And then I heard blackened and I was like, Oh shit. Like this is insane. And, um, I, I, I pretty much knew, and, and, you know, up until that time I had been listening to like Billy Joel and the Beatles and like, <laughs> shit that like had nothing to do with Metallica. I think maybe I kind of liked Nirvana a little bit, you know, but, but like there was just something about it. I, I think there's, um, a melodic kind of component to their, to their music that a lot of th- no other thrash band had at the time. Um, even Megadeth had had like a different a different thing, you know. But like Metallica, just like once they get their claws in you, it's like it, it, it's it's over. So uh, that album kind of changed everything for me. And and funny enough, when when um, the Black album came out, I was kind of like a little bit over it. And I got back into them with Load and with Reload. Weirdly, I just never really connected with the Black album. Oh, that's interesting that, that you then came back around later because yeah, there's mm-hmm. always and it comes up on the podcast a lot, you know. Th- there are some fans that tend to drop off at different points and, you know, it's been happening to them since kill them all came out and it wasn't as, it wasn't as uh, raw as no life to leather, (laughs) you know? So it happens like every stage of the way, but they're always (laughs) expanding. And I think a lot of those fans inevitably come back or at the very least the band's presence looms so large over the scene that the entire metal audience is aware every time they do something, whether they mm-hmm. like it or not, they have an opinion about it. It goes all the way back full circle to like those listicles, right? Even when people who've hated Metallica for however many records, when the band does something, they're talking about it. You know, yeah. they're paying attention. They have an opinion about it. And it all comes from some place of original love. Cause those are all people who loved and worshiped the band at some point. And they're only so mad about it because the band was so important to them. And I try to give them that benefit of the doubt. But, you know, it's one of the things that I love about them the most is that they have 
a dense catalog of records that do different things. You know, in that entire body of work, there's dynamics and peaks and valleys and and uh, vibes and different colors and 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 a, lot, and a lot of times there's context you know that you can put on it of who they were at that time and what was going on and uh, without ever you know it's the opposite of of Kiss who has a catalog right. that's a whole bunch of different records right. but that was always a result of them chasing whatever was happening at the time so it's right, like right. here's the disco song here's the hair metal era here's the grunge record here you know and, and more power to them I'm a Kiss fan but. Mm-hmm. But it came, I think, from a much more authentic place, all the different things that Metallica has tried because it was what they wanted to do and where they were artistically. Well, and I'm as a result, curious. we now have this big body of work to explore, you know? Totally. I- I'm always curious um, about how people who aren't, basically people under 40, how they get into Metallica and what the trajectory is. Because, you know, like I, when Kill 'em All came out, I wasn't, capable i wasn't too young to understand what was happening you know that's why i think it's so funny when people are like oh kill all is way too polished <laughs> like that's that's way too much yeah. you know? and that's um, it comes up all the time on here too it's time place and circumstance it's who you 100%. were what was what your experiences were how old you were when you discovered something and that it figures in them and i wish people could see that forest for the trees when they talk about different bands or when they engage with a band's new album because it's never going, it's never, no matter how good an album is, who the band is, it's never going to be as good as the first thing that really grabbed you that transformed your life, you know? But the thing about Metallica that's special is that you can discover the different parts of their career later when you're ready for them. Because I remember, so like I said, Black Album came out, wasn't into it. Load came out and it got me because for whatever reason, I was like, a teenager and I was like yeah alt rock I kind of am, I'm in that world right now and I can d- deal with this and I tried to listen to like master or lightning and just was like I don't really care about this right now when I got out of college and I started listening to more and more metal I was like oh god now I get it and ride the lightning's now my favorite album of all of all the albums and even more than Injustice, which is like holds a special place in my heart, but Ride the Lightning is like a better album in my opinion. And also Master, like Matt, like Master's insane, but I couldn't get it at a certain point for some reason. Um, and even Kill 'Em All was too raw at a certain point, so I had to like go back to that last. So it's like it's 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 very interesting how people kind of come about like discovering Metallica because they have a bajillion young fans, and I want to know like how do they all kind of get into Metallica because they're not just like listening in order and just falling in love the way that. And I think that that's similar to, you know, by the time that I had heard Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin or or those bands or even the Mm -hmm. Beatles, you know, um, Zeppelin was gone. Beatles were gone. Pink Floyd were in their later years. And yeah, you can always, those are groups that left catalogs that you could go back and explore and always learn, find different things. And the Beatles with all the solo records, I mean, um, the first George Harrison solo album, I keep knocking this thing over. My, the first George Harrison solo album is probably my favorite Beatles related thing, <laughs> you know? And it's like, That's I think, it, I think record. of it as, as like a branch off the tree, but yeah. uh, it, it's um, really speaks volumes of, of bands that can, that can do that. I mean, ACDC is a bit of an anomaly in the sense that they can get away with 
making the same record over and over more or less. <laughs> yeah, um, the new single just sounds like it was made 30 years ago. It's totally. insane. It's so weird. <laughs> but then I wonder if you're new to ACDC right now, I mean, mm-hmm. couldn't you just get, yeah. uh, you know, isn't it really just three or four records that you need? And it's not to disparage mm-hmm. them or to discount anybody who loves them so much that they love every single record and every single song. But I don't think it's the same as a band like Metallica that has such diversity and dynamics mm-hmm. in their catalog, even when it's polar- polarizing, you know, even when it's like, totally. this one's the one but, I hate, you know? Right. It's all relative too, though. If you should, if you played all the albums back to back to my dad, he'll be like, this is all sounds, it all same. sounds it's the all, same. All shit. It's all shit. <laughs> yeah. And it all sounds the same. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> you know, the dynamics yeah. are going to be way. Yeah. And, you, yeah, and you can also play, uh, you know, you could also play rain and blood and uh, spreading um, the disease back to back. And my dad would be like, I, those are thing. different bands. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Uh, well, dude, this has been a ton of fun. I knew it would be, this is kind of what we do. Free form. Yeah. Metallica thanks for having me. It's been, it's been great, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. And we'll have to do it again sometime. I'm really enjoying the uh, inside baseball. I should do like a series within the series of uh, have another, reporters and writers on because uh, i feel like we have a, a certain shorthand that uh makes it i don't know it gives it a different chemistry and i would hope that when people are listening to that that that's fun for them to listen to because i know i love hearing two comedians talk shop or two guitar players or whatever it may be so it's always it's always, it's always a little extra special when i when i get my journal buddies in here so that's my pleasure. And uh, anytime you want to talk Metallica or anything else, uh, the, the gray areas of life. <laughs> Indeed, the messiness. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm happy to come on.